1: <laughs>
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Let's go crazy, crazy, crazy till we... Right.
2: No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Yes, guys. Welcome back to the Canon Podcast. And we are here after a gargantuan victory against Liverpool at the Emirates Stadium. But of course, we cannot celebrate because it was just a win and it doesn't matter. Yeah, don't, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. just don't, don't celebrate it, lads. Just stay calm. You know, big games come West Ham on the weekend. That's the focus right now. Nope. Let's end massive. Yeah,
1: happy about this, are we? We're not gonna
2: dare. We can't. We're not allowed to be happy. Jamie Carragher said so. So you know, we can't. We can't be happy. <laughs> you know, Jamie Carragher, the, the 10-time Premier League winner. Um, <laughs> right. Let's let's talk about the game, Alex, because uh, apart from the, uh, the agenda aside, we'll talk about it in a second, but more importantly, the performance, it was outstanding, right? Minute one to minute 90, performance, feel till anything you want, Arsenal had it, six big chances. XG of like 3.7. Liverpool had an XG of 0. 0.4. The highest XG they've ever considered under the Jürgen Klopp in the Premier League game. Zero big chances created as well. On top of that, it was a Mikel Arteta masterclass. But I want to talk about a bit of a, I'd say, I don't want to say controversial performance, but performance that would have been controversial if Arsenal had not won. Kai Havertz. Up front, once again, causing chaos, generating all sorts of issues. What do you make of Havertz's performance playing as a striker in the absence of Gabriel Jesus?
1: I saw a stat before I came on, um, saying something along the lines of he lost the most duels in the Premier League so far this season. Which I think those kind of stats, you know, they can you can kind of read them in a number of different ways. You can go, "Oh, that's terrible," and he's uh, put your put your party lights on. Go on do it. Put your party lights on. No, no,
2: I'm I'm not. We're not allowed to to
1: celebrate. Sorry, we're not allowed to celebrate. Um, But uh, oh, oh, no, no, no! You're celebrating. You're celebrating.
2: Composure, composure, Um, composure. Get down the tunnel. Get down the tunnel.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I saw, yeah, I, so I saw that start and think you could read it in a couple of ways. You could read it in the sense that, you know, oh, he's lost a load of jewels and that's terrible or whatever, or you can read it as what was his job in that game and it was to compete in a load and load of jewels. You, you only lose 18 jewels and it's not like, you know, we, we didn't get overrun in the midfield yesterday, so I don't think it was a systemic issue that's an issue of someone going into battle after battle after battle after battle yes of course you want him to win more but that tells you how many duels he contested and I don't actually know those numbers but I imagine mm. it'd be very high and that tells you the type of game it was you know i think rice afterwards uh was with roger in the post match with um with uh what they called now sky we we are we allowed to even mention them we get fined yeah, sure, or something? We can. Um, of course we can uh yeah but um Just <laughs> post-match interview with Sky and uh, he was saying that Mikel spoke to them both of them all, all three of them yesterday and said you know that the midfield battle was going to be absolutely huge um, and he was obviously right and it's a massive thing against Liverpool look I think Haberts is Habits isn't a centre-forward you know he isn't and and so there were moments where or well, not a pure centre-forward in that way and uh, there were moments in the in, in the game while I was watching Haberts and I was going, I wish he'd there was a moment where Marcelli runs down the left and he crosses it into Saka and then go it goes, it comes off Gomez's chest. People say it's a miss, but I think it comes off Gomez's chest. But I'm watching that and I'm going, Haberts, make that run like, you know, into the box, absolutely lung busting, get across the, the front post and see if you can get a, a tap in. It's just not the player he is. He's looking to arrive late. He's looking to sort of, you know, be that pass, the sort of the cutback pass, and then maybe to connect it a little, a, a little bit further. It's just not who he is. It does frustrate me in the sense that I wish maybe he would adapt that. But honestly, I don't, you know, a couple of minutes into the game, there was already grumble saying, oh, Haberts isn't making, you know, th- those centre-forward runs. There will be a reason for that. There's got to be a yeah. reason for that. And I'm sure Mikel has instructed him and said to him, look, I don't want you making those types of runs. I don't want you across the front post. Otherwise, I'm sure he'd be doing it. I'm sure he wouldn't ignore Mikel. I'm sure he's, he's playing it in a different role and he wouldn't have played, what was it? Did he play 90 minutes? You know, he wouldn't play 90 minutes if he was ignoring instruction. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's overall, overall performance. I, I didn't absolutely love it in the way some people did. I thought he, there was a couple of moments where, um, yeah, as I say, I, I, I would like more from an attacking sense, but I, th- I think it's the same problem we have with Sinchenko, isn't it? It's like, you know, we talk about, we knew before the game, Sinchenko against that Liverpool game, uh, the, the one of the Anfield, that he wasn't great 1v1. We know during the game and we knew after it. So there's no point sitting here going, oh, why isn't Havertz doing that and the other, really, uh, on the other hand, um, maybe I should shut up.
2: Listen, I know you said you didn't love the performance. I will say I did love the performance. And I say it because every time Haberts plays up front, I always feel like something's going to happen, right? Whether it, we're going to make a chance or Arsenal might score from a rebound, whatever happens. I don't think he's going to score himself. But he generates so much chaos that I'm like, I love that from my strikers. And it's the most similar we have to Gabriel Jesus. And that's why I think Mikel Arteta went for him over in Ketia, despite him being a more natural centre forward, because of his ability to occupy centre backs. And I think a massive part of Havertz is, even if he doesn't win his duels, is the presence. So, no. you know, him versus Trossard, is a lot shorter. If they're both contesting for the ball, they both might not win it. But Havertz is just being there because he's bigger will cause more issues, which means the defender might have to clear it in a bit, bit more of an awkward way. And then the, when you've got Jorginho and Rice as a pivot, they can clear up the ball. And that's what I think Arsenal are trying to do is just go long, Hit it towards him in his direction and just know that he's going to cause issues. And Havertz's centre forward presence, that, that's the most frustrating thing because it's very good, right? It's very good. If you were talking about a centre forward, what you want from in terms of that part of the play, up there with the best I've seen for Arsenal in a long, long time. Talk about the finishing for the Saka goal, for example, he should have scored that. Like, that was a one on one chance, a lovely running behind, fantastically timed. You're thinking to yourself, place that into the back of the net and show me that you can finish those chances. But again, you just knew that he was going to miss that. It is very mm. much like. Darwin Nunez in that sense where he will always make himself opportunities he was two big chances missing this game I'm pretty sure it was two in the game before against Liverpool in the FA Cup there was like two against Man City in the Community Shield where he played as a striker as well him getting into those areas is a positive and the chaos it causes and the chances he creates is fantastic as well but he's missing that one little thing and I'm like is he ever going to develop that or is it something that Mikel Arteta you know just to have to find a way around
1: yeah, and, and this is the thing, We I think we've got a question about this a little bit later on. Uh, I've got it here from, uh, who was it? Uh, unfortunately, I've got the name here. Oh, Nindo on our Patreon, who says, when we eventually get our marquee forward, uh, do we believe Havertz will become an indispensable second striker? And I think that's kind of really long-term what I'm hoping he kind of develops into. Mm-hmm. If we do get that proper number nine, someone who can come in from midfield and, and work off that backboard striker. If you look at his best years at, at Leverkusen, that was always what he was doing. Um, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that the center forward presence outside the box is great in terms of the the target. As I say, you know, I'm 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 caught between those two minds of kind of he's not got he's he won't be ignoring instruction. So I don't think I yes. don't think it's a case of 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 you know why is he not doing that? I'm sure he's being told. I wish he was instructed and I wish he maybe was a little bit more instinctual to make those types of center forward runs, but at the same time, that's not who he is. And we can't expect him to be that. You can't expect Declan Rice to go and take on a man one v one outside on the right-hand channel. It's you know that's not who he is. He has incredible skills in another sense. So putting people in their in their best positions, I, I think. Yeah, Havertz. I don't know. I, I want to say I didn't love the performance. I mean, there's still something missing for me in an attacking yeah. sense. But do I blame that on Havertz? Not massively. And do I see what he can bring? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, we know that he's not far off in that aspect of the centre forward. He's got, he offers you a lot of what you want. And I think the main thing for Arsenal fans now is going to be, if if we do turn a main striker, if Kai Havertz is Arsenal's confirmed highest paid player, over-order Saka, Martinelli and co, and he's not a guaranteed start on his team, and fans don't really know where he's going to play, that's where I think fans will be asking questions and maybe Mikel Arteta. Because look, in terms of the big games this season, Liverpool Man City, in both of those wins, he's, Havertz played a part. You know, off the bench against City, starting against uh, City in the Community Shield then this game against Liverpool. He has played a part and he's been important. So he's clearly helped Arsenal in some sort of way, but the most expensive player at the club brings a different level of pressure, especially when you've got the likes of Saka that are so consistent. Martinelli that's, you know, doing his thing as well and Odegaard. If, if Havertz is earning more than those guys and he's not a guaranteed starter, then I think fans will definitely question, you know, the, the fund allocation.
1: It's it's a 100% a question mark. Um, for me, it's not the biggest question mark uh, at the club, and it's certainly not like my biggest takeaway from yesterday. But I think, I think it, it's it's a question mark, and I and I and I, I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly able to be argued, that, or yep. certainly I don't. I think that question is on the table at least. Was that the best use of funds in the summer? Like that is that is hundred percent the question. And Mister Central running power is here,
2: Georgie boy. He's here. Lateness is greatest, George. After that fantastic win yesterday, I want to talk to you about. The midfield pivot. Now, we spoke about this before the game. Jorginho and Rice playing together. Mikhail Ortega went for it, and it worked pretty well. What did you make of the performance?
0: I I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, I think Jorginho was one of, well, actually the two together, really. Like, I couldn't really pick a man of the match between Rice and Jorginho for me. I think they just dovetailed beautifully together. I think it's also, there's a question to be asked. Have people misprofiled Jorginho, generally speaking, in terms of a deep-lying playmaker role versus a more advanced eight position? It was definitely something I was looking at as with kind of a defensive rock like Declan Rice. Then you look back at his performances with Conte as well as Jorginho together. It, it kind of points towards you know a player that maybe isn't best used at the base of a pivot, but maybe slightly more advanced with a more defensive presence in and around him. He's certainly somebody that has the intelligence, the passing awareness and the anticipation to really thrive in central areas. But those athletic deficiencies have always been something that I think people look at his profile type with some kind of disdain. But when you've got probably arguably the best runner in world sport next to you that counts for something in terms of your ability to express yourself more on the ball. And I think we saw that, that dovetail between Rice being able to bait opposition and not just bait opposition, but that Liverpool press was brilliant. But then Jorginho's ability to open up and find people over the top, as well as disguise passes into the box, I thought was a special combination that yielded a midfield performance that Liverpool really struggled to find any kind of central access in. If you really start to think about it, there was a lot of times I felt that, you know, Liverpool tried to change shapes between both the first and the second half to get Trent more central, but it wasn't working. Arsenal's press was too much, and um, I think a large part of that had to do with A, the organization and the -the on-the-ball sharing of responsibility between Declan Rice and Jorginho, but also Martin Odegaard, that as a trio, he kind of supplemented quite a bit of the -the off-the-ball work that really led our press and I think both him and Jorginho were really smart in the pocket areas that they picked up, particularly getting in behind the first line of Liverpool's midfield, which I thought was a problem for them all match. McAllister couldn't um, kind of focus on one area of the pitch, and I found that our pocket play was actually phenomenal on the night. Um, But yeah, as a a duo, I think Jorginho and Declan Rice, we kind of talked about it on the instant reaction. There's no uh, reason for them not to be uh starters in our next Premier league match i think this is the way forward until we get um you know a thomas Partey if he will ever be fit but that conversation about how do we maximize our midfield i think we've seen now in different cameos against the same opponent both in the cup but now here at home uh ways for jorginho to shine and i think it didn't really depend on you know uh, Kivior left back who i'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later i thought incredible performance there. But um, as a whole, that midfield performance it generated, I think, what, the most XG against an, uh, uh, for Liverpool um, than any other opponent, I think, that has been generated. So it did something more than just work well. I think it excelled.
2: Mm-hmm, it did, it did. And that's, that's the annoying part, because we had such an amazing performance and such a fantastic XG feel to whoever you want to look at. And after the game, the narrative wasn't about that. The narrative came down to a photo of Martin Odegaard taken of the, of the club photographer. So I, I think it's only worth talking about it for a second. And I, I guess defending the club because I've seen the comments of Carragher. I've seen the comments of Neville as well. I'm sure so, so you guys have seen it as well. Alex, what do you think it is it with these guys here? Is it a sense of they will just continue to doubt until they can't? Is it a matter of because I still haven't won for a long time, they will continue to be these type of people? It's like you know, If I was to do anything that isn't robotic, we we'll become immature straight away. I think,
1: look, for basically the last decade in the Premier League, there's been two names, really, right? Pep and Klopp. And, you know, those are the guys. And so any uh, challenge to that is a challenge to basically ask people to update their previous opinions, to ask them to say, you know, can, can can I challenge you to say that there is someone else who needs to be talked about in that debate, in that Pep and Klopp conversation. Now, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, I don't know what more Mikel can do to be included in those conversations. Like you know, in in terms of beating both those teams at home this season, in terms of being in the title race last season, in terms of having the best uh, expected goal differential so far this season. And if you, I think something came out earlier on ESPN or someone someone shared it, something on the lines of if you look at all the metrics that Liverpool and City are supposedly good at, you know the things that you'd expect them to good at. So for example, Liverpool and their press and you know how quickly they progress the top. ball versus City and how much they controlled control the ball um, and all that stuff, you know, Arsenal are there. So we've kind of taken the best, the best elements of Liverpool's uh, football and and the best elements of City's football and and put it together. But, you know, that's, that's a kind of a a conversation for another day about Mikel's football. But I do think on the kind of the, the narrative post game, it's very hard for people to accept change. It really is you know people don't like it you know people don't, don't want to hear that that something they have to start having different conversations they have to stop saying pep and Klopp. and they have to start saying pep Klopp, and arteta even it's something as simple as that they have to stop thinking you know they might have missed the, the 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 journey that we all know as Arsenal fans that we've been on to get to this point they might have missed that and underrated that and also fans have been it's like you know i was with west ham fans you know we have to sit, sit here and say sorry we didn't know how good Declan Rice was apart from George. So like, you know, we can, you know, we have to update our priors, right? That's really hard for mainstream pundits to sit there in the same studio they've been in for 10, 15 years and go, do you know what? I haven't seen this coming. I didn't know that. I have to reframe, you know, because the whole, you know, if, if we're just taking Sky, the whole framing at that end was Liverpool were bad. Because that's the, that's the narrative. That's Liverpool and City are there. You've got other challenges, and if we're if we're just in our in our lanes that we've been, well, it's you know it's just another blip in the the sort of the the dual narrative of Liverpool and City. Well, hang on, we we can have a fresh perspective here, and it is three. There's now three, and I think you know. So I have sympathy, and to some degree, it takes you know. It's obviously the, the whole celebration police is just is just a joke, and it's and it's silly and stupid. But I do have sympathy with people not being able to really reconcile themselves to this idea that Arsenal are back. They're in this title race again. They're here and they're going to be here moving forward. And that we're going to see an adjustment period now and it's going to take some time.
2: Mm-hmm. It is. And it's, it's definitely annoying, but at the same time, I think it gives the players something to chase towards, a target to aim towards. If, if I'm a killard, I'm putting that into the into the team meetings to show, like, look, you know, how like, just like how Pep last year used the whole narrative against Man City and the charges to, you know, galvanise a squad. I reckon Mikhail I could do the same, you know. Look at the media and look at and say to the players that these players, these people doubt you. They look at the Van Dykes and salas and De Bronis and Haalands and go, these guys are better than you. Go out there and prove them that you're on the same level. So, George, what do you think Arsenal can do this season to just change that narrative? Is it as simple as winning a title?
1: Thanks for checking out the Canon Podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Canon Pod.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.